I'm talking today about the shield of faith. And I'm calling this sermon today, We Ain't Hiding. Now, I know it's bad English. I live with a teacher. She had a minor in English. My, my daughter, when we were, she was real little, we were buying our very first house. We are moving from a parsonage out into the country. And uh, when I say country, I mean it was a 100-acre farm around us. We didn't own it, but we were there. And, and, uh, and my daughter, who was very young, five, six years old maybe, looked at my wife and said, Mama, now that we live in the country, can we use the word ain't? <laughs> so we had to explain to her that's not a country thing. That's just uh, kind of uh, some, sometimes people use that word. But anyhow, she grew up to be an English major, so go figure. But anyway, uh, we, we ain't hiding. We, we somehow have got this idea in the Christian life that, that this is what Christianity is, what we're doing right now. This is not Christianity. It's a part of what we do. And sometimes, don't tell anybody I said this, but sometimes we don't do this right. What we're doing now. And this isn't even Christianity. <laughs> it's part of Christianity. I, I get that. I, but, but, but we come together to encourage one another and spur one another onto love and good works. That's what Hebrew says, right? That's the purpose of coming together. To love each other and to spur you to love and to encourage you to do what God's called you to do. The work of Christianity happens when we leave, not when we come in. And so we are called to be in the battle. I, <laughs> I read a little statement one time, and I kind of think in, in the sense of statements. And, and it, was, it was like a site that was selling cowboy stuff. Uh, Becky will love this. She, She's a good cowgirl. Are you still in here, Becky, or are you here early? And Maybe she came first service and went. But anyway, she was from Texas, and she rides horses and all that. I was reading this, this stuff, and you get these T-shirts, you know, cowboy up and all that stuff. And one of them said, scars are tattoos with better stories. I thought that was pretty good. You know, it's kind of popular now to get tattoos. Just over Thanksgiving, I was with my family. It was a great time. We really enjoyed that. But my kids were talking about they, they want a sibling tattoo. Their you know, sister's going to Israel, so they want to get a tattoo together and all this stuff. And, and that's cool. That's fine. But, but, but I, I, I like that saying, that a, that a scar is something you earned. It's got a better story. Way. You can pay anybody pain on your body. But, boy, a scar, you've got to earn that, right? And so, you know, I, I mean, Paul basically said that in the Bible. He said, oh, you call yourself a Christian? All he had to do is take off his shirt, and he said, I bear in my body the marks of my belief. His faith had created scars on him. And he could say these scars tell the story of what it means to be a follower, a true follower of Jesus Christ. I I had a buddy that was in an elite special forces group in the military, and I I was at his house one time, and and we were going to have supper, but the kids were playing, and his son came in kind of crying. He said, what's wrong? And he said, I hurt myself. And you know what he said? He looked at that boy and he said, he's a little boy. I don't know how old he was, but he's pretty little. And he said, hey, bones break, but chicks dig scars. <laughs> he said, pain is temporary, glory is forever. <laughs> what a mentality to teach a little three-year-old. I don't know how old the kid was. He was pretty small. But, but we don't think that way in the church. We think we come, we have to dress up, we have to sit, we have to sing a certain song a certain way. You know, God bless you, God bless me, God bless us all, and, you know, and everything's all nice and proper. And then we go and do real life. Real life is getting into the battlefield for God. In fact, let me give you what I want you to remember today before we read it. Next, click, there it is. Nope, back up, missed the statement. Go to the next one then, I guess. One more, there we go. 
The only way to advance the kingdom is to be in harm's way. I mean, that's a military saying, going into harm's way. It means I'm going to where they're going to shoot at me. There's an axiom in the military that says this, when your enemy is in range, so are you. Right? You can't be in the fight unless you're close enough to get hurt. And I think this is why most churches and most Christians don't get in the fight because they're scared, afraid of getting hurt. They don't want to get, they don't want to go through that pain. Well, the Bible's got something for us here. So if you're open to Ephesians 6 or if not, would you stand up with me? Let me read verse 16 to you. It's up there on the board, but I'd like for you to look in your own Bible if you got it. But it says this. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. Would you pray with me? Father God, in Jesus' name, we step into the throne room once again. Lord, we really live there in in the spirit. Lord, we know that we are already seated in the heavenly places in Christ. But that is in Christ. That is in you. And Lord, we stop and pause to acknowledge that you are our sovereign Lord and God. And that we kneel before you at the throne of grace asking you, for the grace, the mercy that we need boldly. Thanking you, Lord, that you give it to us. I pray that you would open our minds of understanding to see wonderful things in your word. Lord, I am not adequate to explain this or to talk about this. Lord, there are things I want you to do through this that I know I don't have the power to create. I don't have the power to make happen. But Lord, I I pray that we can really get a hold of what you're saying here. And give us your mercy and grace to grab hold of it and obey it. And to do it. We bind our enemy in Jesus' name and his authority. And thank you that he has no place here. We bind all of his workers, all of his demons. Lord, in Jesus' name, we take rule according to Christ. And we pray that this day your spirit be free to work amongst us. And we pray all of this in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Thank you. Y'all sit down. I'm telling you, the only way we're going to advance the kingdom is unless we advance the kingdom. And you, you heard these scriptures, and I pray you still are looking at them. Because now I want you to notice something in the very beginning of verse 16. Now, you may have a little different version than I do. Uh, but it says this, in all circumstances, take up the shield of faith. Your version may say, uh, and taking up or, or doing that. Let me explain why Paul makes an emphasis of this. Because we've already talked about three pieces of armor. We talked about the belt of truth. We talked about the breastplate of righteousness. We talked about our feet being shod with the gospel of peace or the preparation of the gospel of peace. And and the reason is the belt of truth, everything hangs on the truth, and God is the only source of truth. There is no source of truth apart from God. All truth is God's truth. And so we got to have truthfulness in our life. We got to be honest with ourselves. We got to know our weaknesses as well as our strengths. Don't y'all hate that when you go for a new job? What are your strengths? What are your weaknesses? I always hate that question, but... As I got older, I realized I have more weaknesses than strengths. And that might be why I hate the question. Uh, but, but that belt of truth, we've got to be truthful about ourselves so we can get help from God. You know, prayer, and, and Katie was talking about that prayer meeting. Prayer is the most humbling thing you can do as a believer. Because what you're saying is, I can't take care of myself. I need God to help me. So we have this belt of truthfulness. We've got to be truthful about it. We have the breastplate of righteousness. Not our own righteousness, His righteousness, but we've got to live it out. So we live out God's righteousness in our life and being positively active, in other words, being proactive, creates a barrier to doing something evil coming in. Because we have a good offense and it helps us in our defense. And then we talked about our feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. We stand on the fact our salvation is secure. The gospel is that Jesus died for us. I couldn't earn my own way to heaven if I wanted to. He did it for me. So I can go into battle with firm footing knowing that whatever happens to me, 
I'm good because Christ is already living with me and I know where I'm going if I do die or when I die. And so, in the sense of what Paul's looking at, the Roman guard, the Roman soldier, every day he got up, he put on a belt because without belts, pants fall off, right? Well, they weren't wearing pants. And, you know, if you're a young guy, you wear a belt because you want to. I mean, you know, skinny jeans kind of don't need belts. But if you're an old guy like me and you got to put your belt below your belly, man, you need a belt because it's going to fall off, you know? And you've got to make sure that you're holding everything together. Well, that belt of truth is going to do that. So they put on a belt every day. They put on their breastplate every day. Because you never knew when some crazy Zionist Jew was going to jump out and try to whack you with a sword. So you needed something on there just in case some fruitcake went crazy. Sort of like how we live today. Right? I mean, you go to the mall get shot. You know what I mean? So they wore their protective armor every day. And obviously they put on their shoes every day to walk around. Because they needed protection, needed to go wherever they needed to go. So they never took that stuff off once they were up and going. But this shield was a big hunking shield. I mean, there are different kinds of shields, and there's specific words for them. Paul uses a word here. You know, you, you think of the little two-foot shield that they would use in a battle. But this is a shield that's about five feet tall, and it's heavy. So you wouldn't walk around carrying this thing all the time. Because it's too big, it's too heavy. And the, the design of it was so that a man could more or less get behind it, kind of hide behind it. Now, they didn't have modern materials to work with. I mean, you've seen riot police with big shields, but those are very lightweight but very strong. And they can push crowds around with them. Well, it's the same concept with this shield. But the outside of it would either be covered in metal or a thick leather that they soaked in water. Either things will make that shield very, very heavy. So you only picked it up when you were in the battle. All right? And here he says, you better always have it with you. Notice in, in my version that I'm using, the ESV, it says this, in all circumstances. What does all mean in Greek? Thank you. All means all. That's all all means. Okay? So in all circumstances, everything you face, you better grab that shield. And you'll understand why in a little bit. He, but he's moving it from a sometime thing to an all-time thing. You better always have that shield at hand. You better always have that shield ready. All right, so the, 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 the Romans, as I said, they wouldn't carry that big heavy shield around with them unless it was a battle going, going to happen. But he says in all circumstances, take it up. Because it's no longer a sometime thing because you live in the battle. You live in enemy territory. When Satan promised, said to Jesus, if you worship me, I'll give you the kingdoms of the world. Jesus didn't debate with him on whether the Satan owned the world or not. Did he? He just sort of seeded that fact. He didn't even, because when Satan, the earth was given to man to have dominion over. And when Satan caused man to fall, he won it by default. Right? And now he is the prince of the power of the air. Forces of darkness presently here now. It's what the Bible says, right? It, just a few verses before this one. This present darkness. And he rules here. And so you live in enemy territory. So if you want to not get engaged in the fight and you want to cower in the corner and shiver, you're just waiting on somebody to come kill you. The better idea is, why don't you pick up your weapons and get in the fight? Because you have a better chance of surviving if you fight back. 
than you do if you try to hide. And a lot of people, you know, I don't know if y'all know, I, I, I know a lot of hymns in my head. And one is Onward Christian Soldiers, Marching as to War with the Cross of Jesus going on before. And one, one preacher said, the way we sing it is, Onward Christian Soldiers, Marching into War with the Cross of Jesus hid behind the door. <laughs> That's what we do, right? Well, this shield is not just to hide behind, it, is a, it, can, it becomes an offensive weapon. And here's how it worked. Because they would set it in front of them and they could get behind it. But it wasn't meant to be by itself. It, 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 it created a good offense. I tell you how it was made. They would use it as a group. It, 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 it's, it's not a Captain America shield for our younger people. It's a 300 shield. Using two movies there. Y'all don't know about those movies. Older folks are going, What? Captain America is a scientifically created superhuman, and he has a shield that's in, that cannot be penetrated, uh, and, and he carries it with him all the time, and he carries it on his arm. Movie 300 is a story of the 300 uh, uh, Spartans who held off thousands and thousands of, of, of others. I can't get their name out. And it was at Thermopylae, and they, they, they caught them in, a, in a, a narrow place, and they planted shields sort of like these and forced a wall... And they, would, they held them back, and they would fight behind that shield. And, but they had to line up. That's how the Romans used it. And they would line up, and their archers would get behind them as they protected them. And they would shoot, as we're going to learn later about fiery darts. They would take an arrow, and they would wrap it in a cloth wrapped that had been soaked in a pitch. And then somebody would light it, and then... And they would shoot it into the enemy's camp. And what they were hoping is they'd hit some wood and catch it on fire. Hit the grass, catch the grass on fire. Or hit a man, and even if the arrow didn't kill him, he'd catch on fire. Right? Anyway, it's going to create confusion and turmoil and death, hopefully, is what you were hoping as a warrior. So they would set those shields in a line, and the archers would get behind them. And as those men would hold them, and as the people fell back, they'd take a step forward and set them again, shoot again, step again, shoot again. And they would advance using those shields because it was a protection. Now, I hope you are beginning to catch the obvious here that we got to line up shoulder to shoulder with a shield of faith, Right? And we've got to advance against the enemy using faith. Because notice what the Bible goes on to say. He says, in all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. Okay? The, the word faith means to put your full trust in. Okay? So this is a shield of all right, y'all aren't with me. It was a shield of... Let me describe the nature of faith just real quickly. Faith is not a blind leap in the dark. The, the reason we got to that is faith is, is the trust in something you have yet to experience or to know experientially. So you may not even see the results of what you're about to do. In fact, God may ask you to do something that seems counterintuitive to you. Let me just ask this very simply. Did God really want Abraham to kill his son? No, because God would never ask us to kill our son. Right? He would not call on us for, no, for a no good reason to, to put our son on the altar and kill him. And Abraham was well aware of that, even though he lived in a culture of people that did that all the time. Sort of like we do today. 4,000 times a day, we offer a baby to 
Satan. It's just a fact. We kill 4,000 Americans a day. Nobody's blinking. Nobody's saying a word. Oh, we talk about assault weapons. Why we kill 4,000 Americans a day through abortion and nobody's yelling about outlawing that. And that's not a gun statement, that's an abortion statement, okay? If you want to talk about guns, we do that after church, okay? But that's an abortion statement. Faith, and, and so, anyway, I don't know if that kind of went on a rabbit trail, but that was a fat rabbit. Faith is not a blind leap in the dark. It's something we might not have experienced yet. So I was talking about Abraham. God asked Abraham to offer his only son Isaac, and he gets the knife to this point before God says, okay, don't, stop. I got a feeling Abraham went, oh, thank God. Because he didn't want to do it. In Hebrews, the Bible tells us, here's what was in Abraham's mind. The Bible tells in Hebrews 11 what was in Abraham's mind. It says this, that Abraham believed that if he sacrificed Isaac on the altar, that God would raise him from the dead. His faith was the same faith that Jesus expressed going to the cross and dying for us, that the Father would raise him from the dead three days later. He said it so confidently, he said, no man takes my life, I lay it down, I pick it up. He knew that he was going to rise from the dead. He knew that as well as if it had already happened, even though as a man, he had not yet seen it. And he went to the cross and died for us as a man filled with the Holy Spirit, believing what God had said in his word. Because Psalm said that he would not suffer the Holy One to see corruption. That is to be dead long enough for his body to be into rot. And indeed, he was not dead that long. He was only dead three days and he got up. Right? You follow me? So since we haven't experienced it, it has kind of been boiled down to where we say, well, it's a blind leap in the dark. No, God says there's a step there you can't see, and if you'll step out, your foot will hit solid ground. And so we step out anyway. Faith is trust in what God said, even though you've never seen it. It's belief in what God said, and it's more than trust and belief. It's more than belief. It's trust. It's actually putting your weight on it. It's putting your full power on it. You came in today. All of y'all are sitting down right now. I told you you could sit down, and everybody did. I told you you could stand up. Nobody did. Right? And when you sat down, you didn't stand there and go, I wonder if this thing will hold me up and grab that pew and shake it and kind of push on. Nobody did that. You came in, you sat down. Now, you didn't consciously do that, but you went through a process in your mind where you said, I believe that pew can hold me, and I'm going to prove it by sitting down on it, and you sat down. And guess what? It held you. Now, watch a pew break right now. That'd be <laughs> horrible, wouldn't it? And so you trusted it. You had faith in it. Today, even the world says, oh, you got to have faith. Faith in what? Faith in faith? Faith in faith is not going to do you any good. The object of your faith has to be God who has made certain promises. Therefore, your faith has to be based on the word of God. Because you can't just go, well, I just, I just have faith. God's going to give me a Cadillac. Really? You give me the book, chapter, and verse on that one. Jesus walked everywhere he went. What makes you better than him? Walk, <laughs> you know. There's no promise there. There's a blessing. Sometimes God, you know, he lets us have certain conveniences today. But there's no promise in Scripture for that. But there is a promise that he meet all of our needs. So if you have need of a Cadillac, he'll give you one. If you don't have need of one, he'll give you a Ford. I'm a Ford guy. I got Fords. I also have a Volkswagen and a Harley and then Ryan. Um, so... So you have to understand the nature of faith is to put all your weight on it, your trust in it. So he's talking about this shield of faith as trusting 
that God's going to do something. And what does he promise to do in the scripture? He says, with which the shield of faith, you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. We've already defined one of those words. Let's define it again. What does all mean? All means all. It's all all means. Would to God that we actually believed that verse. With which you can extinguish all the fiery darts of the wicked one. Not an exception to that rule. Now I told you how that shield was constructed. The metal, the ones that had metal would deflect those flaming darts. The ones that had water-soaked leather would absorb the arrow, but the water would put out the flame. And he says, take up that big old shield of faith. And you plant that thing, and when the devil starts shooting at you, putting them out one by one by one. I don't know what fiery darts are being shot at you, but I promise you this. If you're in the battle at all, you've got fiery darts being shot at you. But remember, bones break, but chicks dig scars. You see, the exercise of our faith absorbs Satan's attack. What God allows in our life, he redeems. When you look at your life and you go, yeah, but you don't understand, preacher. This is going on, this is going on, this is happening, this is... Yeah, I get it. Number one, God is forming the image of Jesus in your life. I think I've said it in here before. I've said it a lot of places, but... That used to be a tree. Don't look like a tree anymore. Somebody had to cut it down, sand it off, varnish it, paint it, nail it together to make it useful to me. And if God's going to make you useful, he's going to cut you out of the herd. That's being justified. He sets his seal on you. He brands you, makes you one of his. And then he starts working on you and remolding the clay Until you look like Jesus. That is not a pleasant process, folks. And the more we demand that everything go easy for us, the less we'll look like Jesus. Jesus did not come and take the easy way. He took the hard way. And he went to the cross for us. And now he says, I'm going to give you a gift. It's called faith. And if you'll pick up that shield of faith, you can advance against Satan's attacks. And you can step forward with that shield. And as the devil attacks you, you can put those flaming darts out. And every once in a while, you can even get a blow in yourself and get the old devil. We'll cover that when we get to the sword of the spirit. Because the shield will put out the fire. And what God allows in your life, he redeems for his glory. He makes it for his glory. Now, what takes away? What, what happens when we... What fiery darts is the devil? I, I, I thought about making a big old list. And I, 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 there's a danger in that because you'll leave somebody out. Some of you be sitting there going, boy, I hope you don't say mine, you know. And I might miss yours. But I'll, I'll give you three big categories. Fear, sin, and doubt. The devil uses those weapons quite often. He'll make you afraid. If I trust God, it won't work out. If I give my money to church, what, 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 if, what if I need that money? What if I go hungry? What if I can't buy groceries? He'll, he'll, he'll give you doubt. Well, I know what the Bible says, but I'm just not sure I'm understanding that just just right. Maybe you're not, and that's fine. You can get help with it. But when God has spoken clearly, you need to obey. That's the only thing you got left. You can either be obedient or disobedient, but you can't debate. 
And doubt creates debate. Debate creates doubt. If God said it, you ought to obey it. And sin is the big one. The devil will cause you to sin in a way that you like. So therefore, you'll justify it. Well, I'm forgiven. Well, the Lord will forgive me. Well, I can, I can do this, and later on, God will, God will say it's okay. God will never change his mind about the nature of sin. God will never say, no, that's okay. That's fine. I, I get it. That's all right. No, he, sin put Jesus on the cross. That is the price for what you want to do. And therefore, the child of God who wants to please the Father will want to eliminate sin in their life. Are you ever going to do that? Of course not. You're never going to get totally eliminated from sin just because you live in a fallen body on a fallen planet. All right? So until... But Jesus died to save you. He redeemed you. He is redeeming you right now. He's turning you more and more into the image of Christ. But there's coming a day when you have final redemption. And when you see Jesus as he is, you'll look just like him. Because you'll see him as he is. So where did you get that? First John chapter 3. Read it for yourself. It says, but when we see him, we'll be like him, for we'll see him as he is. And so God is in a process of redeeming us, right? You with me? Are you with me? He uses the word of God to help us get there, which again, we'll cover more next time about that. But here's the deal. Satan never doesn't attack. He is always attacking. You know, after 9-11, we all went real vigilant. A few weeks ago, a church in Texas got shot up. Very unusual circumstance. Very crazy event. And every church in America started evaluating what were they doing for defense. How could they prevent that? Well, you might not be able to. So you better be prepared. But anyway. But now a few weeks later, people are kind of like, yeah, well, okay. Yeah, well, you know. And pretty soon everybody will forget about it again. Right? Let me just tell you, after 9-11, nobody on that side, the guys that were flying those airplanes, on their side, nobody ever quit thinking about how they could kill us. Ever. Now, I'm speaking politically now. And I, I don't, I'm not making a political statement. I'm just telling you a truth. That the radical Muslim world wants you dead. Period. That's a reality, and if you don't accept that in the, in, in the world... You're a victim. But there's something even worse. And that is Satan wants you dead. Satan wants to steal from you. He wants to steal your testimony. He wants to destroy your life. And he never lets up. He is relentless. So you need a shield of faith to put out his fiery darts. So whether you're afraid or whether you're wondering, did God really say you couldn't eat? Or whether you're just giving in to sin... The cure for that is to pick up that shield of faith with which you can quench all the fiery darts of the wind. This word faith it does not just mean our body of beliefs, even though that's involved. What it's referring to is the exercise of our faith. James says, the book of James says this, You say you have faith without works. I'll show you my faith by my works. In other words, James, the half-brother of the Lord, was saying this, I will do what Jesus commanded us to do, and by doing so, you will know that I have faith in God's Word. I've gone to a lot of churches that say they were mission-minded churches, and by that they meant they gave money to Lottie Moon, which we're doing now, trying to take up money. I'm not saying you shouldn't do that, 
But they thought they were missions-minded because they gave money to missionaries. No, I'm missions-minded when I go on missions. When I go into my community and where I work, where I eat, and where I sleep, I'm telling people about Jesus. So I couldn't do that. Why not? I'm afraid. Oh, yeah, that's one of the devil's fiery darts. Well, I doubt anybody will listen to me. That's a lie from the devil. Well, you don't understand, man. They know how I've, things I've done that aren't right. Yeah, fiery dart of the devil. Pick up the shield of faith. And when the devil uses another person, which our fight's not against flesh and blood, it's against spiritual darkness and wickedness in high places. And they say, oh, I know you. I remember what you used to do. Say, yeah, the operative word there was used to. God redeemed me, changed me. I don't do that anymore. God saved me, and now I've forsaken that. And I want you to have the privilege of knowing the same Savior that I did that was powerful enough to save me. Some teacher was trying to rattle her students one time and said... Do you really believe Jesus changed water into wine? The little girl said, I sure do. She said, why? She said, because I've seen him change whiskey into groceries. Right? When God saves us, he changes us. And if he could change you, Paul writes, the very first book written in the New Testament, the book of Galatians, and Paul writes in there, you foolish Galatians, who bewitched you to think you start in faith, you end in works? We believe God, and since we believe Him and trust Him, we act according to what He said. And in acting according to what He said, we exercise our faith. Right? That's what it means. And so as a church, we need to do that. Well, how can we do it? Well, here's, here's some ways. Well, for, let me just say this. You need to know the Word, trust the Word, obey the Word. That, that's, you you got to get in the Word. But first of all, trust God in areas where you don't see an answer. Some of you are beginning to lose hope. You're like, I just don't know what's going to happen. God, God just hasn't done anything. Remember, God's time is not your timing, by the way. God's never late, but he's never early either. <laughs> Some of us want him to show up a little bit early, and sometimes he lets it go to the last minute, and then he takes care of it. But, but what is it that you're losing hope for? Trust God that he is going to keep his promise. 2 Corinthians chapter 1 says, As many as may be the promises of God, in him they are yes. I may not can pray for a Cadillac, but I certainly can pray for God to meet my needs. Because he said he would. He said, for my God shall supply all your need according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. Right? So you can say, God, I'm not sure if this is a need or not. But I think I need this. If I don't need it, show me what I do need. But Lord, meet my needs. And guess what? He has to answer that because he promised it. Because I'm not basing it on a desire. I'm basing it on his word. You said you would meet all my needs. Please meet this need. And if it's not a need, if I don't need it, then that's fine. See, that's called being content with what God gives you. But we don't have to be content with what God gave us because we got MasterCard. Sorry, did I say something wrong? Trust God in the areas where you can't see an answer. And believe God. It may be a lost relative. It may be somebody at work. It may be some situation in your life. It could be financial. It could be emotional. It could be spiritual. It could be a ton of things. Trust Him where you don't see an answer. Find a promise in the Word of God and stand on it. Secondly, ask God to redeem what, he's always, what He has allowed in your life. Trust God and ask Him to redeem what He has allowed in your life. And then lay aside your fear, doubt, and sin. Lay aside your fear, doubt, and sin. Just stop it. The book of Philippians, it says, If there's anything good and worthy and lovely and great and great, think on these things. Lay aside those bad thoughts. Replace them with God's thoughts. What would it look like if this whole church decided we're going to pick up the shield of faith because we can quench all the fiery darts of the wicked? 
Let me give you a promise of Scripture. In Psalm 2, God says that he would give to his son the nations of the world for an inheritance. The United States is part of the nations of the world. Amen? You with me? Virginia is part of the United States, right? Stanton's a part of Virginia, right? God planted Calvary Baptist Church in Stanton, Virginia to take Stanton and Virginia and the United States and the world for Christ. But this is our area of responsibility right here. First of all, I don't think there's any area of the world that's not our responsibility. But right now, right here, God wants us to be a witness here. So the question is, how are we taking the shield of faith and getting outside of these walls into true Christianity and entering into harm's way with the shield of faith and start pushing back darkness with the light? What would this church look like if we all decided that Calvary could bring the gospel to every creature that lives in Augusta County, to every person that lives in the city of Stanton? That our goal is that before I die, each of us say that, before the church dies, we speak the gospel to every person here. Say, that's impossible. Oh, that's a doubt, isn't it? It is possible. Paul said in three years, he had made sure the gospel got to every person in Asia Minor. He hit a whole region, area, big area, and said everybody that lives there has heard the gospel because of what he had done through the church at Ephesus. That's crazy. But it's possible. Well, what does it take to do that? Well, I just don't know. It takes faith, doesn't it? Faith in what? Faith in God that he'd keep his promise. So how we ought to pray is, God, you promised the world to Jesus. And you gave us Stanton and Augusta County. And maybe a little further on out there to the ends of the earth. But we'd sure like to really get some stuff done here right now. And since you promised it to the Son. And you put us here to fight the battle. Show us how to fight it. If you go back to the Old Testament. The children of Israel go into the promised land. Notice what they called it. The promised Land. Why was it called the promised land? Because God promised it to Abraham, promised it to Isaac, promised it to Jacob. Started fulfilling it through Moses. Moses couldn't go in. And so Joshua had to take over. They crossed the Jordan River. And the first place they come to is the city of uh, Jericho. And Joshua's looking at that city going, ain't no way. How in the world? Nobody's ever taken a city like this. This is the biggest fortified walls in the world. And nobody can get inside there. I don't know how we're going to do this. And he's praying about it, looking at it, thinking on it. And he looks up and there's a man standing with his sword out. And he said, whoa, who are you? Are you for our enemies or for us? He said, I'm not for either one of you. I'm the captain of God's armies. Take off your shoes. Where are you standing? It's holy ground. And then he proceeded. Jesus, the pre-incarnate Jesus, stood before Joshua and told him, this is how you're going to take Jericho. And it made no sense at all. Just walk around in the city once, and when you get to the end of your walk, have everybody blow the trumpet. Do that for seven days. On the seventh day, do it seven times, and then at the end, everybody blow and everybody shout and see what God will do. That makes no military sense whatsoever. But Joshua was obedient. Walked around, blew trumpets, went home. Can you imagine on the sixth day, the guards on the wall going, look at those stupid Jews. What idiots. They're just walking around, singing songs, blowing trumpets. They're crazy. Seventh day, here they come again. Oh, whoa, they didn't quit this time. They're going around again and again. 
and again. Do I have to do that seven times? And again. And again. And again. And again. Oh, they stopped on the seventh time. Why are they yelling? And all of a sudden they hear, whoa, 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 whoa. they hear all the shofars. What in the world's happening? And the walls go, boom, and fall down. Just because he was obedient what God told him to do. I noticed that it's the promised land. God gave it to them, but they still had to fight battles to get it. God's promised to stand. We got to go to war. And we can't go to war without the shield of faith. We got to believe God will do it and that he'll quench every fiery dart of the wicked. So next time something comes up, hey, I got the shield of faith. Lord, here's what you said. I believe your promise. Fulfill what you said you would do. That's what God wants us to pray. If you pray that wrong, guess what? God will fix it. Don't worry about it. Just pray it. And go before God and say, God, you said you would do this, and I'm believing you for that. I believe you can do that, and I'm going to act on that. I'm going to act like it's already happened. I'm just going to believe it and act on it. I'm going to do it. Because faith is believing God can, wishing he would, and then acting like he will.